Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover the time the WWF took over halftime of the Super Bowl. It's halftime heat. Kyush, have you ever even seen this before? I have seen... I remember back in the day seeing pictures of it in wrestling magazines at the grocery store. And then later on, I remember seeing the finish on like a YouTube clip. But I have never watched this in its full case and in fact i didn't know until just now when we were queuing it up that this is just a normal episode of sunday night heat that this match takes place during i thought this was like a special presentation of just one match me too i had actually forgotten there was an episode of heat that happened because i was watching the super bowl like everybody else and then i you know like a loser snuck away to the other room to watch (laughs) halftime In the dark in my room, so no one else would know what was going on. Six. This six is actually pervert. this is the Super Bowl I remember the best as a child of all Super Bowls because this is the really? first and only time that I got up at like ten o'clock in the morning and sat and watched every single second of pregame coverage for hours and hours and hours. This is one of the worst Super Bowls of all time. It might be the worst Super Bowl of all time. So, the backstory. I believe the idea of counter-programming the halftime show was pioneered by the sketch show In Living Color in 1992. Yeah, they did a massively successful live halftime episode. That led the NFL to get Michael Jackson to do the halftime show for the Super Bowl in 1993. Which really just squashed all thought about yeah. going, anybody counter-programming that. <laughs> the 1992 halftime show was a figure skating show accompanied by Gloria Estefan and the University of Minnesota marching band. Which is very ironic because the two best counter-programmed halftime shows of all time both yes. feature Gloria Estefan. <laughs> This year, the Super Bowl was a disappointing matchup between the defending champion Denver Broncos and the underdog Atlanta Falcons, who shocked the world by upsetting the 15-1 juggernaut Minnesota Vikings in the NFC Championship game and denying us the Super Bowl we all wanted between the Broncos and Vikings. Yeah, let's deviate briefly into our favorite subgenre of the Lawcast, which is the 90 Sports Podcast, to talk about what the Super Bowl represented. And that was uh, the previous year, John Elway had finally won his Super Bowl. Finished the story. He had finally finished the story, got to the mountaintop. This one's for John. And actually, in the process, they had become an unbelievable running juggernaut, one of the greatest rushing teams in the history of the NFL with Terrell Davis. They were unbelievably good. But the team from the very beginning of that year that we knew would be facing them in the Super Bowl was our fucking Minnesota Vikings, baby. My dad Moss, Chris Carter, Randall Cunningham, Robert Smith, Jake Reed. What a team. Randall Cunningham revives his career in the twilight of it and has the greatest season of his entire professional career. This team is unbeatable. Not since like the 85 Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Not since like the 85 Bears has a team been so dominant, except this one's offensively dominant where they were defensively dominant. This team was like literally they would do like a 90 yard touchdown every fucking game. (laughs) 
It was a joke. Randall Cunningham would just throw it up and not even look, and one of his three amazing receivers would catch a touchdown. The halftime show this year was dubbed a celebration of soul, salsa, and swing, and would feature Gloria Estefan again somehow, Stevie Wonder, Savior Lover, and yeah. Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Yeah, Big Dirty. This is during that cursed swing revival from the 90s. If you didn't live through this, it would be kind of hard for you to understand that like for like six months in the middle of the 90s, everyone just believed it was 1940 again. And swing came back with a vengeance as bands like the Cherry Poppin' Daddy, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, just blew up the scene and then immediately disappeared. Here's the I thought the swing revival was in like 95 because when did the movie in the movie Swingers come out like 94 which a that movie is about something very different than I thought it was. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, do people do swing dance? Oh, of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. Why would I want to watch a movie about anything else? Fucking Eric Bischoff left that movie so disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, the other kind of swinging is what people in WCW were doing in this era. But also, like, that also coincided with, like, the rise of ska into somewhat mainstream prominence. This is years after that was a thing, which, of course, is right about the time that NFL people would be aware of it. So that's why we're putting it on here. This is an all-time no-one-gives-a-shit-about-this-halftime-show-halftime-show. So WWE is brilliant to counter-program it. Yeah, so... All right, I guess I should tell you guys, we're going to do this watch-along style. So if you want to watch along, fire up Peacock or WWE Network if you're overseas. Find, go to Sunday Night Heat. It's January 31st, 1999, and the match starts at about 26 minutes and 30 seconds into the show. So this is about your two-minute warning. Like, if you want to watch along, Get the January 31st episode of Heat Up. Get to 26 minutes and 25 seconds if you want to watch along with us. So we're coming off the 99 Rumble, where The Rock beat Mankind to win back the WWF Championship in their infamous I Quit match, where Rock nearly killed Foley with unprotected chair shots to the head. And rather than giving Foley some time off after the catastrophic injuries that he took. He just immediately comes back and starts continuing to wrestle matches, including this one here. They, despite how absolutely catastrophically that match went, they couldn't get enough of putting this match on. No, they taped this match two days after that. They taped this match on Tuesday. Now, the real mystery to me who came up with the empty arena match and why the fuck did anyone think it was a good idea? I think the empty arena was a necessity because they wanted to tape it and they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to tape it in front of a crowd, I guess. And they, they were probably, maybe they were worried about their ability, whether they could get a crowd to come during the Super Bowl. But, I mean, they didn't have to shoot it live. Why couldn't you just taped it? I don't know why you couldn't just tape it. Yeah, maybe it's insane to say this is a Jim Cornette thing, because how could Jim Cornette have any influence by 1999? 
But you know Jim Cornette loves the Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Empty Arena match more well, than anything in life. Let's be clear. There just aren't that many people in the world who know what an Empty Arena match is, yeah. even in 1999. <laughs> there have only been so many of them. And I bet you money that Vince McMahon was not one of those people. <laughs> so, again, the idea is... They've been like heat has been going on. Heat started at eight. The Super Bowl started at, I don't know, six thirty or seven. But it's just like they know the Super Bowl is going to go to halftime around eight thirty. And at that point, they can press, you know, cut in to their episode. The episode of Heat is taped, too, but it was taped separately. But they'll, you know, kind of press play on the rock mankind tape at that point as people are flipping over and millions of people did this did a 6.6 rating with 11 million viewers this is one of the most watched wrestling matches in the history of the world <laughs> which is on pretty cable, fucking yeah. crazy yeah that's pretty fucking nuts guys in the game the broncos were leading the falcons 17 to 6 at halftime it was never a game. Let's be clear. This is one of the most boringly done. See, it's not even like when the 49ers or the Cowboys would beat the shit out of the Bills back in the day. And you'd at least have like one super dominant team scoring every couple minutes. This game's boring as shit and dominant. So it's like everyone just tunes out. So this is just an opportunity to do something else. Yeah. All right. You ready for this? Let's go. Let's press play in three, two. One, go. All right. Yeah. Oh, they're going to play the Super Bowl commercial first. What are your thoughts on the Super Bowl commercial as we see Steve Austin narrating to the audience and hitting that man with a chair? Weird. Oh, God. The sex in the office really doesn't age well, does it? It's so funny that this basically is all about like, man, the WWF sure is a weird workplace where everyone gets hurt and sexually violated. What a wacky workplace. Well, actually. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Like, I do you think that made people want to watch wrestling? No, I don't think it made yeah. any sense whatsoever. But like, it's, it's just, just like a vanity thing for Vince. Very, you know, it's ironic. It's a victory lap, if anything. Right. It's just like it's just Vince saying, like, we're so wacky, guys. Isn't that fun? All right, so, well, the crowd is notably full. Okay, is it halftime heat? Is it time? Okay, so, okay, so basically, in the ring. The idea seems to be that heat's going on, but in a different arena somewhere else, The Rock yeah. and Mankind are about to wrestle by themselves. Yeah, so that episode of Heat would have been taped after this. Like, this they taped in the afternoon, then they taped that episode of Heat before the episode of Raw that night. But that was on a Tuesday. This is back when every other week Raw is taped. This feels so weird for a lot of reasons. First of all, Mankind's head is like wrapped up like he's a mummy yeah. because of how badly he got bashed in two days before. But also, not only is the arena empty, but the lights are completely up. So yeah. like we can see all the empty chairs. It's like watching a UWF show. The other thing that's really weird here is the only commentator is Vince McMahon. Yeah, he comes down with Rock, 
And he decides that the only person who can call this spectacle in front of this large, large audience is himself by himself. Of course, of fucking course, he thinks he has to. And it's there's a point where he's like, this is what you get with the World Wrestling Federation. Action adventure, elements of comedy, soap opera. Just like, what are we doing, Vince? Let JR call this. And it's like. Are you you're the, he's trying to sell WWE as a concept to people who don't normally watch it. First of all, this isn't that much larger than the audience that normally watches their program anyway. Yeah, that's the thing. That's 6.6. That's a good rating, but like it's not amazing. Yeah, they're doing giant numbers anyway. So it's not like that you're doing like an 11 and you're getting like like housewives from the Midwest to tune in for the very first time. And if they are is this what you want to show? Like mankind looks like a fucking monster from a movie yeah. right now. And no Steve Austin at all. No red hot crowd, which was their signature in this era. Yeah. Rock's what wearing a t-shirt for, and track pants. What would have been perfect is that rock mankind match where mankind won the title on raw because yeah. Austin was there. The corporation DX Vince, like all their big characters were involved there. Honestly, I might have just re-shown that. Like, it doesn't even really matter. Like, they could have put almost anything on, and I think people would have been willing to watch it instead of that shit-ass halftime show. So, like, you didn't have to do this. But I just want to be clear. Gloria Estefan turn the beat around? I mean, I did. I had a little bit of a crush on Gloria Estefan when I was a kid, but that's neither here nor there. But also, these guys, this is the shittiest both of these guys ever looked. (laughs) The Rock having recently had cosmetic surgery has to have his top covered. So yeah, he's wearing track pants and a cutoff t-shirt. He just looks like a guy. Yeah. Mankind looks fucking crazy. Like what would you have put on instead? Would you have done like Austin undertaker or something like that? Maybe like Austin and mankind against undertaker and rock or something. Yeah. I just think that you could have done something a lot more interesting. I get the appeal of, you know, doing a title change here. I mean, I totally get that. And I'm kind of glad that they do it, even though they wind up taking the belt off of Mankind again like a week later. But so, so far, we haven't talked about this match at all. They're just they're just pu- they're just punching each other around. Yeah. Well, so they know. Thing. Oh, man. He just threw him through the barricade like he's Roman Reigns. Yeah, I think the length of the Super Bowl halftime show is pretty well established. So I think they think I think they know they have 25 minutes here, which is kind of a lot of time for an empty arena match. (laughs) Oh, this match really drags is my memory. I mean, it's already been kind of slow. But here's the thing, too. You could just call it a false count anywhere match and then just start it in the back. Doesn't that make more sense? And then you could just do all like the wacky stunts that you want to do. Yeah, because that's what we really want to see anyway. And The Rock gets in some good comedy when they go backstage. Yeah, you want to hear The Rock doing quips. You want to see some fun spots. And it would protect you want, Foley. You don't want a lot of like wandering around. Mick Foley Smart. got oh. his brain bashed in, got a horrible concussion two days before this. And he's wrestling here. This part where The Rock is just making like an improvised fort for Mick under a bunch of chairs just for fun. And he just keeps tossing one more on and one more on. That's pretty good. 
just and hit him just, in the head with the chair. And then he stepped on his face. God. Jesus Christ. Uh, did I mention that on his podcast last year, Mick just casually mentioned that he sometimes can't feel his dick and balls? Yeah, that's yeah. great. Did you hear Mick say he wants to do one last death match for his 60th yes. birthday? Yes, I heard it. Because he's got Terry Mick. Funk disease. God, what a sad, strange man. But I mean, like, what is... And the funny thing is that, like, he had the happy ending that wrestlers never get. He's got a beautiful family who love him yeah. completely. His kids are all grown and they love him and is still with his wife and he's got good money and everything seems happy. good. Yet, and yet, the ring this calls is, to him like a siren. This is the opposite of the wrestler. He can't walk away. Like, he doesn't need it. He's not destitute. But he just can't go away. So I find it very bizarre. The way that this is a convention center, I think, which is why there's all these fold-in chairs. That would make sense. Yeah, what a shitty arena. This is the, uh, I think it's the Tucson Event Center, Tucson, Arizona. I want you to imagine going to a modern arena today and sitting down in a fucking folding chair that isn't part of like a set of chairs. So, like, I guess you could just, like, shift your chair wherever you wanted and just get a bigger seat for yourself. I mean, the chairs on the, I guess the floor is always like that. But, like, all the way up to, like, the 200 level? Like, that's weird. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of the convention center in Atlantic City where they did those terrible WrestleManias. We are now walking almost all the way up to the concourse as the rock is just this wandering is lo- up the stairs. This is a lot like Mick's match at the Blackjack Brawl against Snuka. <laughs> I would. <laughs> they fought out. It was basically an empty arena. There was like 400 people in the MGM Grand. Oh, we that was the best. We get some oh, salmon. What do we got? That was the best part of that match. Where they go, they're like, "All right, let's hide the fact that there's nobody here." Nope, we're gonna go brawl into the empty seats. <laughs> Oh, a full trash can of garbage. Does he kick him down the steps here? Do we have to go back down? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't. don't. No, 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 no. Oh, God. Mick. Oh, fucking hell. (laughs) That looked like it hurt. Jesus, Mick. He hit the steps. He rolls. Jesus. He realizes he didn't roll far enough, so now he's crawling his way down the steps. This is not good. Not good. Man, you know what I wish was really on tape? Um, When Mick and Owen would just intentionally have the worst matches possible. Like, think about how much more entertaining it would be to watch them taking titanic bumps off of, like, giant bags of popcorn and shit. Yeah. Where he's like doing snow angels and popcorn. They literally the got I- Steve Austin to crack. The irony is that's what eventually gets Mick super over is the comedy. Not doing this. He just rolled down another flight of stairs. And no one cared. No one. There's no one here. The- oh, that's right. They do the live cut back to Shane and Kevin Kelly. Kevin Kelly looking kind of skeezy with that goatee. My God, a blonde goatee from a seemingly 19-year-old Kevin Kelly who's still on our TVs today. 
He might have to come back to WWE. They need so, they need somebody to do play by play. Yeah, we still haven't really sorted that out. It's going to be like Wade Barrett now. They've or got some Wade shit. Barrett doing play by play on SmackDown right now. It's so funny that there's so much going on news wise that we didn't even get a chance to talk about like AEW and CMLL's partnership or Wade Barrett apparently the new play by play man of Raw. Things that would have been the biggest story back in the day. Oh, oh mixed we're back in the cotton candy. I'd like to take a bump into some cotton candy. That looks nice. That doesn't sound so bad. Do you think they had to pay for all the bags that they're squishing here? Yeah, probably. The most interesting things about things like this. So, like, they're just in the kitchen of this place, in the catering area. And Rock's just throwing Mick into a bunch of shit and, like, hitting him with it. But, like, I can't imagine that he knows that he's going to... throwing Sako in the oven. In the oven! No, that's not that's against health code violations. God, my friend. He's, he throws Mick in the, in the oven. I really hope he's faking that oven wasn't on. But like, that's the thing is like, I, I, did they scout all this out first or is the rock just improvising with whatever he feels Mick with? They probably did a walkthrough since this is taped. They probably walked through it and like figured out what they were going to do. But also like. The Rock in no way pulls any sort of hit he does with anything. Some of this stuff could be more dangerous than he thinks. Because how many times do you practice? He has picked up some hoagie rolls and smacks mankind in the face. All right, that's He's like, hey, have some bread, you fat fuck. <laughs> God. But like, Rock genuinely just feels comfortable beating the shit out yeah. of Mick Foley here. When's the last time Mick got an offensive move in? Uh, got a bottle of Jack Daniels. I hope that's oh sugar man. glass. Uh, okay, I thought he was gonna smash that on his head. Me too, a full bottle, and I would have <laughs> that would have been fucking crazy. Also, there's a good chance that was actual Jack Daniels. <laughs> Yeah, probably. I don't see yeah. why not. Steve Austin like, used is... real beer. He just barely drank any of it. Oh, no, it's the pack of popcorn. We asked for it and we got it. There we go. Get him, Mick. The Rock's yeah, never seen we, a carb. I think we get another cut here when we go through the door. Yeah, I would assume they took a break there. Oh, now we're into catering. Where's Bischoff? I don't know if we can spot anybody. <laughs> Bruce, anybody? Tony Gurria, maybe? The man with the beautiful blonde ponytail had to be somebody. The Rock eats some Michael of the popcorn. Hayes? He does not like it. <laughs> <laughs> the Rock grabs another trash can. God, he loves trash cans. This uh, premise cannot sustain itself for very much longer. There's some sort of stack of cups here. It's like a wedding. Yeah, Mick Foley puts himself through the stack of cups. A giant salad. Oh, God, the salmon. No! No! Everybody sitting at the table is like, wait a minute, that's my catering meal. Yeah. Mick Foley's like, damn, I never get this thing dry clean. It's just going to have sauce on it for the next three weeks. 
My favorite thing about these matches is that I don't think that The Rock takes a single real bump in any match these two ever had together. <laughs> oh, no, he just beats the shit out of Mick. And Mick like, is I don't... how many falls on the concrete is Mick taken here? Is that, do you think that part of that is because of The Rock's cosmetic surgery? It's never really been talked about. I do wonder. I mean, yeah, he was probably kind of sore. He didn't really miss any time with it. But I also wonder, like, if he's got, like, stitched up scars, can he really be yeah, taking a lot of bumps? Can't do a ton. Oh, Mick Foley gets thrown through the cake like in the Guns N' Roses November Rain video. What is that, a kumquat? <laughs> The, the, every, the, all of this food I'm looking at, and I'm like, what is that exactly? Is this what their catering is like? Just some pieces of ham and like weird fruit and squash. fake flowers? Yeah, that's just, that looks like a fake squash from a cornucopia. Mick with a pretty good dick punch. Not as good as the one Roman Reigns pulled off on The Fiend. Well, no, if he had pulled that one off, then The Rock would have had to quit the business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Mick. The Rock throws a punch bowl full of... Go ahead. I was thinking they were going to make a continuity air here and his boot was going to come back, but no, he's wrestling this match with one boot on. The Rock takes a whole punch bowl full of ice and one can of Pepsi and it throws it directly at Mick's face. And then after he sees that the, the can connected with Mick's face, he picks it up and drinks some. That's some sociopathic shit right there. Go into the office here. Whose office would you say? Is this like people who work at the arena or is this like this is where Vince office up? for the I day? Yeah. I don't recognize any of these people in the background. Oh, these might be real people. I wonder if they were even smartened up because it's literally just like two cameras and then Rock and Mick. Rock has decided to make a phone call. He picked it. He answered the phone and he said Smackdown Hotel. Love that. He's like, oh, no, Mankind can't come to the phone right now. He's getting his ass kicked. That is an all-time great ad-lib. I mean, the man knew what, how to do that shit. Yeah, Rock, the one-liners from Rock carry the match. Oh, back to the phone. Yeah. <coughs> and he chokes him with the cord, yeah. Remember when AEW did the stadium stampede match and they ran into Urban Meyer's office and he was sitting there? That is an all-time moment because I'm not even sure that Urban Meyer knew what he was a part of. Him and Charlie Strong were just hanging out in their office at night. The Rock has decided to sexually harass a woman in the middle of this match. That's very believable. Yeah. But yeah, that was great, because like, I don't think Urban Meyer has watched a wrestling match in his entire life. I think he was just in that office doing his fucking plays and shit. <laughs> Mankind is now covered in so many juices, <laughs> he's mostly brown. <laughs> Very gross at this point. The Rock is going for his fourth trash can of the match, but Mick stops him. Three was enough, I guess. I love Earl Hebner, who's the referee of this match, just sort of like circumspectly following them around. He's getting a workout. Yeah. <laughs> run upstairs. See, I'm watching this with no audio. This, do you think they showed this in the arena to the fans? I don't think they did. I think Kevin Kelly and Shane are just reacting to nothing. 
I love the I mean, I love the idea that maybe they're watching it in the monitors, but in the ring is just like Scotty too hottie wrestling somebody and the fans are just like, why aren't the announcers paying attention? Oh, we're now, back in the parking lot now. Yeah, we're in the back lot brawl. We're just exchanging big haymakers over by a big black truck. Oh, no. In the future, that black truck will run over the Rock's ambulance. It will. Hulk Hogan laid a smackdown on that jabroni. (laughs) (laughs) They're just going to... The mandible claw? He's got Socko. This match is taking forever. (laughs) This is going on so long. This has been going 20 minutes. There's now a man with a forklift who has been moving some kegs. Evidently, he wasn't told that there was a wrestling match taking place. I mean, why would he think there would be a wrestling match happening in the parking lot hours before the show? The man's Great just point. trying to do his job. This is the working man. Oh, God. We're going to get one of the worst finishes of all time here. The Rock has been incapacitated by the mandible claw. Mick is looking up at the crate... That the pallet with full of kegs, and he's going to commandeer this forklift and lower it down onto the rock. Now, the rules of a Falls Count Anywhere match state that you can literally pin anybody in any way, anywhere, on top of anything, as long as they are their shoulders <laughs> are pinned. Why did we get point of view shots? This is the fakest, dumbest bullshit I've ever seen. This has yeah, just been a like, normal. Ah. This has been a normal wrestling thing this whole time until we get a point of view shot of the pallet full of kegs. And Mick sits on it and gets the pin that way. I do want to be clear that by DDT rules, the pallet full of kegs is actually the world champion. It's a good point. Because Mick doesn't pin the rock, the pallet does. Pallet, the pallet screwed the rock. That's right. DDT were multiple times like a belt has landed on top of somebody. We're out on that. Jesus. That is, if that was your first exposure to WWE or wrestling, back to the Super Bowl and be like, nah, I'm good. I was going to say, how many people do you think made their friends watch that and came away super embarrassed? Can you think of any time that you ever showed wrestling to another person and then didn't regret it. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> I tried to convert that. everyone I met from the age of like eight to 17. And like, eventually never I just worked. stopped. <laughs> the money, money in the bank matches can be good for that. It's so funny because we have such a warped idea of like what appeals. There's actually some tweets going around this week about that, about how people were like, oh man, Joshi gets people interested and like crazy flips and stuff through tables gets people interested. You know what doesn't get people interested? King's Road matches. And that's what I was showing people. Try to show people Okada Tanahashi. I, I will vividly remember for the rest of my life, the first time I ever told my now wife uh, then girlfriend that I was into wrestling. We were like in my room and like, we've been together like two years at this point and I had never brought it up. <laughs> and we were just casually like laying on my bed. And I was just like, Oh, uh, let me put on a VHS. Uh, there's this wrestler name. It was Chris Jericho's VHS release about Christ. his career from that time. I was like, Oh, let's watch this videotape. Uh, this wrestler's cool. pretty cool. 
oh god it was so fucking st- i was like oh she's gonna be so into this cool chris jericho guy she hated chris jericho <laughs> he's a raging misogynist she did not like wrestling until 2005 when rated our superstar edge and lita turned her into a fan stupid sexy edge super stupid sexy edge and lita Ah, uh, that was terrible, Steve. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that was them putting their best foot forward to the mainstream audience. Their Super Bowl commercial that they paid like two billion dollars for, and that broadcast. And yet, still more entertaining than the actual halftime show. And the other thing that tried to counter-program, which I guess Fox Sports also tried to counter-program the halftime show, with a Keith Olbermann segment where he answered viewer questions. I don't think many people were probably watching that one. Yeah. (laughs) And that was a live stream. Very briefly working for Fox Sports. (laughs) It lasted about a month. So, yeah. That, uh... That was a whole experience that really took me back to being a kid. And I'm glad that as a child, I didn't watch that. That would have been my first exposure since Ahmed's heel turn. And I would have been like, I'm not missing anything. You would have been amazed at how far that kid Rocky Maivia had come. Well, no, because if I had seen that, I would have been like, oh, he looks even worse. He's lost a bunch of muscle. What a jack- jackass. Oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a very strange foray the wwf made into um you know mainstream culture the year after this they did it again but they just showed highlights of the hardy boys dudley boys tables match from the royal rumble and then jim ross interviewing steve austin about his next surgery and recovery now, if they had put on a TLC match for the ha- for the mm. halftime show, that actually probably would have won them some new fans. And that that actually bears the question, too. If they did this this year, which they shouldn't, because that Usher halftime show is going to fucking blow the roof off. And so, like, they're not going to compete with that. But, like, if they did it this year, what do you think they should do? Oh, God, if you're going to do this this year. Yeah. Like, what do you think would actually get eyes on the product? So the Rock and Cody announcing what the WrestleMania main event is going to be. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe like a Logan Paul match or something. <laughs> yeah, Logan Paul makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that's a wrap on the very bizarre halftime heat. Um, next time. We'll uh, jump forward to No Way Out 2001, a much better show, I promise. A still very odd show, a still very interesting show, but ultimately a show that somehow is wedged between two of the greatest events in the history of professional wrestling and is usually forgotten about by the average person. Yeah, we've got Rock versus Kurt Angle for the WWF title, Steve Austin versus Triple H in a um, three stages of hell match, and Trish Stratus versus Stephanie McMahon in the match that actually has the most heat. And guys, who boy, is it weird watching that match now, and we're going to talk all about how it makes us feel. <laughs> it sure is. So yeah, we'll have all that and more next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.